Hey guys, welcome to the 10th episode of the Learning Podcast. And if you're unsure, it's a Singaporean podcast dedicated to learning something new from every single guest on this show. And today I have with me a friend that I met through LinkedIn. His name is Kevin. And if you are interested in ever getting on this podcast, please just send me a message. I'm really very interested to just talk to anyone out there because I think it's fascinating to be have to have meaningful conversations for with sure. each other for the work that we kind of do. Yep. So I think something that we can really talk about sure. in depth today would be the issue of mental, uh, you know, the state of mental well-being because mm. it's something that I know that you're very passionate about. And for audiences that are listening out there, Kevin is actually working on his own startup. I would consider it a startup mm. and it's called Rebound, Rebound, it's called Rebound, Rebound Resilience. Resilience yeah. And I'm sure that you will be able to share about your story of why why you're on this journey sure. because I know that it's unconventional. It's very unconventional and I think that you sharing the story of what triggered you, mm. your journeys and motivations and how sure. you came to what you're doing uh, will be inspiring for someone out there. Sure. So Kevin, for those listeners that don't know who you are, right, could you just give a very quick summary of what you're doing and where you what you, what, you, what, you, what are you currently doing? Sure. So uh, first up, I talk to the camera over there. It's fine, right? So first yeah. up, I think Jiang Jun over here, very inspiring individual. I reached out to him because he he's doing something that I always wanted to do, and so I'm just very glad to be sharing this uh, podcast with you, lah. So uh-huh. I'm really really looking forward. Okay, for me, I just graduated from NTU, we can we, and right now I have a, I basically have a passion for three things: people, uh, education, as well as social entrepreneurship. You know, so right now I'm running a startup called Rebound with Residents, which essentially we exist mainly to change the way people perceive failure. You know, not as a permanent personal thing, but as you know, just a stepping stone to where they want to go. And so I think this is something that students, a message that students really need to hear, lah, because you know they're always very affected by failure, mm. and it stifles their creativity and potential. Yeah. So going back, right? I want to go back all the way to the start, right? Back to schooling. Sure. Schooling. So actually Kevin and I went to the same junior college, yes, Raffles <laughs> Institution. And if you don't know what Raffles Raffles Institution I, I'm is. Sure they know. Uh, no no, because they oh, are international, okay, international people. people. Yeah. Okay, cool. So Raffles Institution is actually I would regard it to yeah. be one of the top schools in Singapore. Mm. So can you just share how is it like being in Raffles Institution? And because Briefly before Kevin and I shared, I mean, I talked to Kevin and he was sharing about how his brief experience in Raffles Institution shaped into what he's doing right now. So mm. bring us back to the days in Raffles Institution. How is it like to be a, a student in a top school in sure. Singapore? Now, if you guys didn't know, actually, Changchi <laughs> is also from Raffles <laughs> Institution and we are batchmates. Yeah. So we didn't even know. Yeah. Right, I think we spoke to each other. He was a DSA student. I was a DSA student. Mm. So I think before going to Raffles, like, the funny thing is, like I my grades weren't good enough to go into Raffles, you know. So I went into DSA, I played tennis. And when I first went in, the interesting thing is that you kind of like you don't say it, but subtly you have this like judgments against you. Um not really judgments, like subtly I just feel proud. Proud. Right? It's the ego is the ego, you know. The okay. ego kinda of comes in where you everyone's studying hard for their O levels and you're like, hey, I really call the rappers, you know. Oh. Just need to get twenty points or less. Yes. Right? I'm not sure whether you felt that at that point of time, but I just didn't feel stressed during my O levels. <laughs> you know, it was just fun. And everyone thought that they respected you for going to so called top JC. So mm. that was me at that stage. And then you want me to continue about mm. Raffles? Uh, for context, right? DSA actually means direct yeah. school admission. So for people or with, for students with special talents, I would say, <laughs> like for Kevin, he plays the tennis very well. For me, I played the Chinese flute 
Uh, mm. I wouldn't say very well, but I just happened to be lucky sure. to be able to get in. But yeah, DSA student. Um, how was it very difficult to get into Raffles using DSA? Given your skill set, were you a, like, are you a national player or something? Uh, no need to be no, humble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Honestly, right. So I think I think I I played badminton growing up. Oh, so okay. I played badminton, but funnily enough, when I was in primary six, mm. I played badminton and tennis. Mm. But I was more inclined to badminton. Mm. So during the DSA trials for Raffles, actually, mm. when I was in primary six, oh. my mom told me specifically not to play soccer. Oh, <laughs> on the week. okay. Right, and of course, what did I do? I played soccer, right, and I got injured very badly. Didn't do well on the trials. Eventually, didn't get into Raffles. Mm. So I was very upset. Mm. So when I first went to Victoria School, I just felt that I belonged somewhere else, mm. you know. And I was kind of egoistic, thirteen year old, Yeah, yeah. But I think VS kind of changed me. It was the culture was very very uh, they respect each other regardless of how well you do mm. you know and eventually i switched to tennis in set three mm. so i switched to tennis because i wanted to have a chance to make it at a national level mm. so it was a hard decision but i made it mm. and i did well enough to to dsa in the raffles mm. so you're actually a national player you used to be i I did represent Singapore during ASEAN schools, but that was 18 years old. Oh, yeah, 16 years old. But now. oh my gosh, that's not something that anyone can say. You know, you represent your country. Yeah. Oh. So moving on to Raffles, how is it like being? How is it like studying there for you? Well, it was a very, it was a very interesting experience. I think when I first came in, I wanted to kind of separate myself. Like I wanted to be seen as not a typical Raffles student. They okay. just. Like mark every day, you know, okay. and stuff. I wanted to be different. Okay. But funnily enough, right, I was when I look back, I was a extreme case of <laughs> that so-called stereotypical student. You know, I'm just very, mm. yeah, just very focused on on studies, very focused on sports. Mm. And I did nothing else but that. Mm. You know, and I think when I first went in, not sure about your experience. I think we did talk about it when you first come in as a DSA student, mm. and I it, not really a culture shock, but when I first when I first uh, looked at my friends' work, mm. you know, how fast they pick up concepts, mm. math, chemistry, how they write. Because mm. the essays that they write is really high level. They're talking <laughs> yeah. about, you know, global issues, talking about how technology is funded by the media and funded by different stakeholders and everything. Mm. I said, like, man, I don't know any of this when <laughs> yeah. I first started. Mm. So naturally, you have this, like, a bit of an inferiority complex. You're like, I need to catch up with them. Mm. You know, when you try and compete on their terms, which is in hindsight not a very good thing to do. Mm. You should compete on your own terms and not compare. You know, the grass is not green on the other side, and the grass is greener where you water it. Mm. Yeah, that's I one think, of the I think it's different from how I viewed it. I suffered in <laughs> RI, you know, like I was feeling everything. Mm. But I was very miserable then. I was sure. like just trying to get by and I was, and looking back, la, I thought that on hindsight it's, it was still good that Raffles had this very competitive environment you say sure. and I believe that I wouldn't have done or at least maybe I wouldn't be mm. where I am right now if I haven't went through this I'm sure it pushes system. you right so yeah. in terms of academics how did you fare in Raffles yeah so I think interestingly I kind of now what I'm doing now is kind of shaped by my experience in Raffles specifically during the A-levels Okay. because what happened was uh, I remember a couple of months before the A-levels mm. I was sitting across my mom just like that having yeah. dinner and and uh, she was telling me about how she, when she was in university, she mm. took a LOA, leave of absence. For those of you that don't know, it's just a leave of school because my grandma was had issues, so she had anxiety okay. and she couldn't complete the papers. Okay. And in my arrogance, right, I looked at her straight in the eye. I said, "Mom, that will never happen to me." Mm. <laughs> you know. Oh wow. Yeah. 
and a couple of months later, right? No, no prizes for guessing, right? What, uh-huh. what happened to me? Mm. I exact same thing happened to me. So mm. I had anxiety towards my A's. Mm. You know, just because uh, the house above me was renovating, okay. undergoing renovation, whole thing was vibrating. You know, I was vibrating. <laughs> Couldn't uh-huh. focus. Yeah. That affected my preparation. Eventually, during my A's, I handed up blank sheets of paper for math. Math, blank sheets. Completely. So a six hour paper, yeah. you know, right? Three hour, three hour. Both yeah. papers just copy down the question, complete mental block, just handed up blank sheets of paper. I mean, I mean, can you just delve deeper? I'm not sure. Because when it comes to submitting a blank yeah. piece of, like, could you just go into a little bit more detail into the kind of thought process? Because three hours yeah. sitting, looking at the questions, mm. I'm sure, at least for me, sometimes I do get mental blocks. And aside from just facing a task that's right sure. in front of you, other thoughts are crossing your mind. Mm. What were there other thoughts crossing your mind, or could you describe to me what a mental block is to you? Okay, you ask very good, very good questions. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. really I just good. want you to just yeah, say sure. and just gloss over because I want class, right? Yeah, yeah, I want to have. I want you to share that experience because it's difficult for me to empathize, and I'll mm. try my best to empathize mm. as well. Yeah. So I think prior to that, in J one, I did a project on mental health about reintegrating people with mental issues to the workforce. Mm. So I studied it, I interviewed people with it, but actually facing it was a completely different ballgame. You know, when I first, when it first happened, it was just, it's nothing like I ever experienced in my life. That's number one, right? I was so used to doing well in my studies. So I didn't have a coping mechanism at that point of time. And I remember it was, it, the best way to describe it is like, it's the like oxygen being cut off your brain. You just cannot recall you know you see the question you know you have done it before mm. but you just cannot write anything because your mind is blocked mm. and it's so weird because I went to the toilet you know I want to cry so I cannot mm. I just sat there for half an hour what, how do you feel? It, so the thoughts were racing were so you I, like angry sad or like just neutral some people are like just blanked out blanked neutral neutral, neutral okay, so, so it was not really neutral it was just a confluence of thoughts so it's like it's, it's weird because that was a starting point of going to depression, you know? That was like the trigger in a way. But yeah, just completely racing thoughts, you know? What will other people think about me? All the consequences, what will my relatives think about me? And my entire, must, I think for you, you and I, we kind of understand that. And for people out there as well, you know, doing their studies and everything, your grades, we condition to think that our future is dependent on everything. grades. Everything. Everything. You know, especially a major exam like A-level. So yes. at that point it of time- to that point. Yeah, everything accumulates to that point. So at that point of time, it was just devastating. Mm. I'm like thinking about my future, thinking about my dreams. Mm. All my identity was hinged on my achievements and my grades. Mm. And so my self-esteem was generally very, it was the starting point of a, a downhill, like, really. Mm. It was just thoughts, mm. thoughts, racing thoughts. And how do you move on from that? Wow, so before I moved on, there was a lot of suffering. Yeah. So I how went long, through- How long was this period of time where I mean, after finishing these A-levels, mm. right? I mean, there was this period of time, you got your A-level results. Mm. There's still this big chunk of army. Yeah. Like, I'm sure, did, uh, did you got army? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I'm yeah, sure there's this big chunk of army, right? I go to army. Pass, yeah, pass <laughs> it. But there's this so like, it, that, okay, that, okay, sidetrack. The thing about uh, army, I yeah. think, is that it gives us time to really think a lot. I'm not sure if that, that period of time helped mm. you or not, but after A's, how, did, how do you even cope? Or, yeah, how do you even cope? How do you even move on? Yeah. Oh, it's been a while, I'm just recall. Uh, I think before that, to be very vulnerable, before yeah. that, I, after my A-levels, so I went through the rest of my A-levels, mm. 
the day after my A-levels, right, it actually got worse because it was like, the mind is like a computer in a way, some to some extent, and it just shut down. So I just had constant thoughts of me and and yeah, and I'll be vulnerable. The first time a suicidal thought actually entered my head was the day, the night after my A-levels. I just woke up in cold sweat and for some reason, a thought just suicide thought just came to my mind, you know. And the, the two things about it, like the first thing is that it was just, what's the two things that scared me? Lah. Number one is that it was just this cold shiver. My entire body was like shivering. Mm. That I, I, I thought that, like what scared me was that I never thought I would be capable of such a thought. Mm. And the second thing that scared me was that I had no control over it. Mm. Like I couldn't control it. And the second thing scared me more than the first. So I immediately woke up my mom, right? And like she also shivered when I first told her lah. You know, and then uh, it didn't go away. So I tried to get, it didn't go away and it lasted the following day. And eventually I had to be hospitalized, long story short, for okay. a short period of time. And I was hospitalized, I had to put on a tranquilizer. So I woke up and that was a long journey. Lor. So I was put on medication for a while, antidepressants, I think antipsychotics as well, for I think a period of a couple of months. Lor. I think during those months, during those months it was, uh, very difficult for my family, for myself. Uh, every day was just a challenge, lah. Just waking up, trying to survive. Mm. You know, having so many thoughts about just everything. Mm. You know, and I think uh, uh, what to answer your question, right? What helped me to recover? Long yes. story short, is I would say I mean I ask this question a lot. So I would really talk about three things. Lah. Number one is support mm. from my family and a few close friends that didn't fully understand what I was going through, but they empathized with me and they were there supporting me. And they researched and they gave me that support without supporting me taking my life. Of course, they wouldn't support that, but yeah. you know, they gave me that, that love unconditionally. Mm. And the second thing I would say is that I was initially very reluctant to take mm. medication yeah. because I saw it as a stigma, you know, I self-stigmatized. The last time I used to stigmatize people like that. Yes, yes. And so, but the moment I made a switch, I realized that it did help to alleviate some of the thoughts. And it gave me chance to start doing things that made me happy, you know, like going volunteering at shelters, mm. taking my mind off things. Mm. And that kind of helped me as well. And I think the final thing, right, that helped me was a mindset shift. Completely shift. Mm. It was, I remember the exact moment where I was like, epiphany. I'm not sure when you go through a certain challenge. Yeah. And you go through a certain challenge, you have this moment, this aha moment, that yeah. you realize that, hey, something in your mind just like, is a burden just lifted from you, mm. you know? And what, that actually happened. What was this moment? Yeah, so, and so I remember telling, my, telling myself that, hey, Kevin, you don't need to go to university to be successful. Mm. You don't need to be defined by a couple of alphabets and a piece of paper. You can chart your own path. You can do other things like, at a point of time, which is weird stuff, like being a jockey, mm. <laughs> being a dog breeder. Wait, wait prior to this, prior yeah. to this thought that came in, mm. was it, like you, you talked about that moment, right? Yeah. What triggered this moment? Or was was it a, was it something that was it an exact moment that triggered it or like it was a continual thought process over talking with other people? Do you talk with other people or yep. this kind of thoughts and all this kind yep. of Yeah. So actually we have a mutual friend, right? His name is uh Jin Yang. Actually he's now he's now a full time he's a regular in the force and he was a very strong support to me, you know. And uh, he and I mean I don't know why I suddenly switched over to him. He just came to my mind as uh, someone that supported me. But I think it was a long stretch. Why that came to my mind is because 
he it was it was a continuous process. Mm. He was there. My family was there. Mm. It wasn't just suddenly I woke up and like that. Okay, got it. Yeah, it was over a period of months where I was slowly trying to recover, mm. volunteering, doing stuff. Mm. Just had had the idea that I don't want to be in this situation forever, mm. And I think that confluence of those three factors eventually led to that point where that aha moment. Mm. But the aha moment where I was was so fascinating. Like after I had an aha moment, I actually went into mania. Mm. So mania, if like for viewers that don't know, right? Mania is like kind of the ex- other extreme of depression. Mm. It's when you're super high and, oh. you're, and you're illogical. Ah. So bipolar is when you switch between states. Okay. A mixed episode is when you have depression and then after that you have mania. Mm. So when I had mania, right, I just went completely the other extreme. Mm. You know, I created I created a YouTube channel at a point ah. of time. Was 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 just doing really extreme stuff okay. and it was featured in the news for the wrong reasons uh. I mean do you mind what do you mean extreme stuff like, just a little bit more I, oh. I, I have no idea about this so if, if you're willing to share sure uh, we can decide whether to I think now looking back is fine I think yeah because now it's deleted and everything okay. but I actually went did a video of about 4 hours video mm. it was just really weird stuff and I was I took my A-level cert. I burned my A-level cert. It was a copy. That wasn't my actual So it was cert. that... Is it anger or because it, it has it was such anger. strong resentment towards... It's resentment. Is it like the education system that really like so much pressure on our shoulders like my whole life is on this freaking piece of paper yeah. and you want to just like use whatever yeah. force you can and just vent it out. But I... What do you... It felt good, right? Yeah, so... So... You I mean, hit the nail on the spot. Like it was... It was actually an avenue because when I first came out, right, I didn't, I don't have the maturity that I have now. Mm. So when I just came out, it was just all about wanting to raise awareness. But mm. at the end, at behind it, right, was exactly what you said: mm. resentment mm. towards being very cynical about the system. Mm. Even though now in hindsight, yes, there are flaws in the system, mm. but it's a way to negotiate it. Last time, when I first came out of it, it was just a way to rent, mm. just a way to just let out all my anger, and so it wasn't a very mature, tactful way. But I would say I won't regret it like, because it's part of my story. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's part of the story. I mean, <laughs> we sometimes I feel that we are too quick to judge. Like, I mean, yeah. if I feel that if I were to look at this video, right, mm. I mean, I mean, knowing who I am right now, yeah. if I were to look at it fif- uh, as a 15-year-old or 18-year-old, it would be very different. But I don't want, I try to ju- shy away from judgment on how others uh, release their mm. stress, whether it's punching, whether it's shouting. Sure. Um, I mean, I mean, even me myself, I do it, do that at times when I'm really in an intense state of moment. Sure. So after the episode, like, what happened? Yeah. So I think after that, it kind of developed. So l- when we talk about passion, when you look at the word passion, it came comes from word passion, which means suffering. People oh. don't know that. <laughs> People actually don't know that. Yeah, but. Passion, a lot of times you look at biographies of people, it kind of come from a bit of a void to actually drive our values. Mm. So I had a very strong void in, in this area, like mental health mm. and wanting to raise awareness. Mm. So that became a very strong driving factor. Mm. So I knew that I wanted to raise awareness in this area. I went to NTU. Mm. I got into biological science through discretionary admission. Mm. I said I wanted to go to Wikimwe. Mm. Uh, I went to the interview. My mind wasn't... I was still crazy then. I went in with berms. Okay. <laughs> Printed cotton on t-shirt. What's it's wrong with that? Uh, I mean, What's wrong with that? I mean, yeah, typically people were going to interview a huge ass necklace. Oh. Right? The hair wasn't even combed. Okay. And the funny thing is that I spent my dreams to the person. And I'm so thankful that he, Wikimi likes weird people. Uh. So they accepted me. 
I don't man. think it's weird. I don't think it's weird. I think it's cool, man. Okay, okay. Yeah, right. So they accepted me. I think because they accepted me, and then uh, yeah. So so I eventually had to go to university. But out of university, I think I developed a passion for an interest in public speaking, in in coaching, in training, and development. So that's where I, I met a mentor. So in I mean during that period after nineteen, when I was nineteen years old, I actually met my mentor. So he is formerly from NUS Business School. Uh, how do you meet your mentor? I met him through a, a mutual friend. Mm. You know, he recommended me because he knew that I was looking out for opportunities. He knew I was looking out for guidance. Uh, mm. You know, and I had interest in, in just doing a, just doing something in my life. Mm. So he, what he does is that uh, he does a bit of. He connects manufacturers to consumers. Uh. Mm. Okay, so it's a little bit like dropshipping where you don't hold any inventory, but you build a network, you get paid off it. Mm. And he he was, you know, his, his mom was a taxi driver. Uh, sorry, his dad was a taxi driver, his mom was a housewife. So very humble beginnings, but he managed to kind of build an asset for himself while studying. Mm. So I was very inspired by his humility and his work ethic. Mm. And so that kind of, and he was the one that while doing work with him, mm. he also encouraged me to go into public speaking. Mm. And so I actually, first how I started was I just went on LinkedIn. I messaged founders, I searched training schools, found the founders, I just messaged, hey, I'm interested in training, give me a chance. So I just went in there and, and I started that way. Wow, yeah, awesome. and so LinkedIn had paved the way. Yeah, it gave you a lot <laughs> yeah, of opportunities, right? Yeah. I think LinkedIn is crazy. LinkedIn is crazy. So you helped out all these different kind of founders. Companies, yeah. What exactly do you do? Like, do you like, carry the workshop they have a certain set of programs that they run right so yeah. you are educated on these like what, what are the what kind I of do? workshops what are the kind of workshops do you run so it was non-academic so if you are a student listening to this right I think you have enrichment classes you know so like communication leadership mm. is know. it like secondary schools or is it public schools or like these kind of companies that bid in you teach in secondary schools so it's primary, secondary, and even tertiary as well. Oh, but okay, my, okay, mainly primary and secondary. Okay. So to use an analogy that I hate using, but everyone relates to is the Adam Cool So ah. Adam Cool stuff lah. Okay. But yeah. Uh, if you aren't sure who is Adam Cool, is <laughs> actually a finance slash NLP slash. He does a lot of all these kind of workshops yep. that are. I think it's a. I think it's a very good business to be in. He was the pioneer, lah. Would say yeah. he marketed himself very well. That's why people when think of training and development, they think of him. So have you worked yeah. with him before, or is I have in, not in, in that kind of line I, of work. I have not, but it's that kind of line of work. Okay. So there are actually many different companies. I work mm. with them freelance. Mm. So what they do, right? If you're interested in training, is is something you can start out. So what they do is that they have the program outline. They train you, and then you go in and deliver that program, mm. and they pay you per hour. Okay. So during that period when I was freelancing with a lot of companies, mm. I saw certain gaps. I saw certain strengths. I saw certain gaps, mm. and I, and I, and and it formed like the desire in me formed that one day I'll create a company that will address those gaps. Mm. One of the gaps was that there's no specific program on resilience and mental health. Okay, and and also I I felt that another big gap is that there's no follow up after the program. So once students listen to the, whatever you're saying. They go back to their normal lives mm. and most of it is lost. Not actionable. On them. Yeah. It's not it's not actionable. Most of them don't have a follow-up program, so it's lost on them mm. after a while. Mm. So yeah. this was that area that you wanted to venture into, these mm. gaps. I mean, sorry, to backtrack again, like what kind of specifically what kind of because as a student yeah, back yeah. in secondary school, I'm just thinking of the kind of programs. Sure. Is it like those kind of classes whereby uh 
we, 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 when you say it's non-academic, right? Yeah. Is it like more fun? What, what kind of workshops do you run? Yeah, so I think a couple. So camps, I think we all know, right? Oh, camps. So camps, I don't run camps, oh. but camps is one one aspect. Mm. So like OBS and stuff like that. So oh, you, okay. you go through activities, debrief, you learn certain values. Now OBS is compulsory. Okay. Yeah, but last time it wasn't. But essentially enrichment programs are like two, three hour programs mm. where a trainer comes in. Usually there's some facilitation. So you play games, experiential learning. Mm. You play games. Students play the games. Based on the games, you extract certain lessons from it. You teach them certain values. And it's geared around certain things like public speaking or leadership or empathy. Yeah, and it's it's usually part of the school CCE. So every school has this thing called Character Citizenship Education. Independently, they have to design a CCE program for the students. Oh, okay. And the government gives them some funds to use independently. Yeah. Can you share a story? Because I know when you're interacting yeah. with kids, for me, I interact with kids quite yeah. a lot. Like I, I teach piano. Yeah. Um, I like kids in general, but sure. is there any kind of story that you can share? Like, because you, when you're talking about leadership, yeah. in like that kind of realm of workshops, right? Yeah. Is there any story of how primary school kids or secondary school respond to your workshop? Like, was there, like, was there like not an enough impact on them, and that's something that triggered you, or mm. like? Is, are there any stories from that? Sure. Uh, many. So I think when I first started, I went to the classroom. First time ever in the classroom. Can't tell you secondary school. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I went yeah. in, went in. Man, every sentence I spoke, okay, somebody would interrupt me. Okay? <laughs> and this other guy, and another guy would just stand up and he would choke. He said, shut up. And he throw a pencil across the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and to the typical person, right? Like, how, how would you feel in that situation? Mm. You know, might be a bit discouraged, right? Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Absolutely you love loved this it. chaos. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I realized that hey, you know, I have a passion in this area. Uh. I, because some people say that sometimes what you view and the reality might be a bit different. So you need to try out. Yes, but, yes. Right? But for me when I tried it out, the reality was Exactly. Not, no, it's not more. Exactly. Oh, it's it more. was more than what I expected. It gave oh, me shit. more than what I expected. Yeah. I was so grateful because uh. I told myself energy is good. Mm. If students have energy, you can turn their energy into something good. Yes. It's better than ever, like yeah. totally quiet. Exactly. I mean, to me, that is also very scary as well. Yes, yes, and yeah, that's a whole different topic all we talk about, you know. Yeah. But on on this topic, right, I think mm-hmm. another story was uh, that I go into schools and I always some I realize that the attention levels are highest mm-hmm. when one of the highest when I actually talk about failure. So when I talk to them about failure, right, and what failure means to them, I say what what comes to your mind when when you hear the word failure. You notice something very interesting. Apart from the typical answers like get scolding, like cannot scold, kick out the house. Apart from those answers, mm. you can see their physiology change. They become more reserved. They look down. They close up. Body language. Body language. It's very obvious. Yeah, and it's very obvious that they have a negative connotation towards failure. Mm. And so I realized that wow, you might say it's normal, but that's exactly why it's an issue because. Uh, if kids grow up with such an exaggerated fear of failure, yes, they'll be so afraid to try. They'll be yes. so afraid to step out of their comfort zone, and they'll never achieve what their their potential. They'll never, they'll stifle their creativity and kill their potential. So, so I realized that hey, rebound resilience. Eventually, when I started it out, the the why you know we talk about Simon Sinek right? The yeah, why yeah. the why essentially is to reframe the way they view failure. Because mm. I feel that if they can reframe the way they view failure. A lot of it can come. A lot of good can I come mean, from. I mean, what it. you're saying really resonates with me. Yeah. You alone, 
at least interact with I, I would say maybe a few hundred students, mm. right? I'm currently teaching eight piano students, right? And oh. this is very obvious. Like sure. the small little things that they say, right, really strong strongly resonates. Like at mm. this young of an age, right? If they are, they say some things which are mm. so they are, they fear failure so much. And yeah. one thing I watched recently, F A I R, first attempt in learning. Mm. I, it's right. just about that whole reframing of mindset against failure, which I think it's quite fascinating. Why? Yeah. Oh. What What is it about? Um, so how do they face like for example teach piano right and then sometimes they make mistakes how do they respond to that and how do you coach them in I the mean, area I mean if you look at my, my website as a piano tutor yeah, I sure. don't want to just them to teach music my, sure. my website says I help children grow into better people no, through teaching no, music so I really want to give them the con- I, I don't expect every mm. student that I teach to be a professional musician it's impossible even mm. me myself I'm not a professional musician but I just like that kind of challenge that you achieve in the mm. long run Okay, so yes. moving on, going to Wikimu, right? What are your biggest takeaways, or how have you developed and grew in this environment? Okay, yeah. So, so I think going to Wikimu was very fascinating, right? It's a com school. Everyone there is very expressive, okay. you know. And I think uh, for me, it was a perfect course because I don't. I had, I had a lot to do outside. I knew I was going to run a business really, and so on. And my focus was on developing my expertise outside school. Mm. So I wanted to do like the bare minimum to just get by, but still extract value from education because like I'm paying, yeah, <laughs> yeah. my parents and I are paying for it, right? And so uh, I, yeah, so I just made sure that just like we were talking about, we just made sure that I had a responsibility to my groupmates. Uh, yeah. If I do something, I want to do something well, mm. but in terms of the other subjects, you know, you just do the bare minimum to just go by. Mm. And I also did a lot of like weird mods la, just to pass the time, like mm. sports mods. Mm. You know. I mean, you're a tennis player, right? Yeah, I did, I did, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, actually, I did a tennis mod. Oh shit! <laughs> I know anti has such mods, but it's playing cheat and all. Yeah, it's playing cheat. Okay. It's just very weird. It's just a way to get grades in a short time and yeah. then just relieving stress. So I did yeah. like seven sports mods. Mm. So it's very weird that I'm paying just to get by, right? But I guess the within the your social circle in university, mm. I mean, at least for I was in business school, so everyone was really all about that cap, 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 great and mm. uh, cumulative average point. All about you. I mean, do you do things differently, or is it is everyone around in we can we NTU? Because I'm not I'm not sure about the environment mm. in NTU. How is it like between your bachelors? Sure. Actually, I was very dissociated from school. Mm. I. I mean, Phantom is a typical name we use, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? But we, in a way, I was like Phantom. Even year one, I was leaving lectures halfway to go and do my stuff already. Mm. You know, and people ask me where I was going. And I think uh, it's not that I don't want to hang out. I think I think university hall stuff, for example, doing hall Did stuff. Did you stay in hall? No, I stayed in oh, hall okay. in the first year. Okay. But I didn't do anything. Okay. Yeah, so I think not, not to like, like diminish the value of staying in hall and doing activities and everything. Like everyone has their own Priorities. priorities and values but for me that wasn't my priority mm. so I knew that I could get better value outside mm. you know and so like I, I didn't take part in all those things like hardly have any I only have working friends in school mm. so people that I respected we respected each other we did projects well together mm. but not really to the point where we hang out and go and eat I can count the number of times that I ate with somebody else no, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 so, so you're more of a okay. uh, I would say a soul guy la, just doing your own stuff but still being accountable to your groupmates mm, at the same time in a way la. so yeah. in your perspective of viewing your university education right mm. what's the biggest takeaway I mean it sounds like you're, you're saying that you're still doing enough to get by but if there's anything at all that you still got out from this university experience what would it be or if, if is there even any there is yes definitely is. I think 
first thing is actually did a reflection on this and I graduated my mom put the, put the gun on me I actually put my, the gun on my mom because wow. she I feel that she's the one that graduated because she applied to university for me mm. because I was so at the point of time I was just thinking of taking my life like I couldn't apply for university she actually applied for me so I was reflecting back and because three biggest lessons I learned the first one is that great uh, formal education can never fully ignite your potential mm. why right it's because just the structure of it mm. it's just if you look at how education started, 1700s, a kingdom called Prussia. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> the Prussian king decided that, hey, he has attached to homemade silk. So he created a teacher seminary for teachers to learn how to make silk. Mm. And eventually evolved to a primary school compulsory education, teachers, and most crucially, a specific curriculum. Okay. And so when the industrial revolution happened, right, they needed jobs, they needed people to do specialized stuff. So they found that, hey, adopting this system of education is good because people can learn how to do specific stuff. Mm. Yeah, and so, like, the, and the, of course, because of that structure, right, it has certain drawbacks. Uh, okay, and, okay, actually, I wrote about this. Do you mind if I just pick it up? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. But I mean, I, I cannot put it better. You wrote a blog, is it? Is this yeah. an article? Uh, in, in a way. Okay, I'll, I'll link up this uh, article in the video captions. Whether it's below Thanks. or stop, but wait, I just read out a, a, a segment mm. because I, I just so you, you basically went to, I mean, I'll guess or I'll assume, yeah, uh, uh make me honest here, okay? yeah. Um, you were so interested about how the education system didn't meet who you are, and in that sense. I mean, you wanted to find origins of it, I suppose that. Um, yes, in partially because I have a passion for education. Oh, so I need okay. to understand what's the true essence of education. Mm. Like, and the true essence of it is... Okay, I'll talk about it. Okay, <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Sorry, sorry. Right, right. Right. We are talking right. about it. No, it's good, it's good. It's, but, okay, I'll just read this up. So, actually, this was an analogy given to me by my mentor and I felt it was really interesting to understand how, educate, how schools function and the drawbacks behind it. Mm. And so I read that. So, the main drawback... With, is, with, is this la, with a specific agenda and standardization formal education may restrict and lack personalization schools resemble factories okay, raw materials which are students are moved around by bells processed by workers teachers whipped into shape by machines scary discipline masters and eventually put through quality checks Exams and grades to produce a prime end product, which is a PSC scholar. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, I'm just put it <laughs> Yeah, right. But okay, this is done in jest, lah. Okay. I'm not giving <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, but it's done in jest, right? But and so the issue is that okay, so the issue with this is that standardization is the raw material. Sometimes, right, the raw materials which students don't fit the standards which don't fit the standards which might be perceived and might be perceived as less valuable or not processed in the best way given its innate qualities. Mm. You know, and so it's the same thing in the factory, right? If the thing doesn't meet criteria, you kind of throw it out. Yeah. And sometimes... And people are thrown out. Yes, not really thrown out, but their, their potential is not nurtured yes. by in by a specific system. way. Yeah. yeah. And I say this... Okay, so I'm, I need to clarify this. I'm saying this not to demonize this. education, this or, or like kind of demonize the education system. I have respect. My parents are both teachers, mm. by the way. Okay. I have massive respect for teachers who dedicate their heart and soul right, to nurturing students' individual talents. Mm. But we have to understand, that even teachers understand this as well, because of the structure of the system, the nature of it restricts 
personalization. Yes. So you can, it favors abstract intelligence, mm. right? The ability to process information, synthesize it, and put it into words. Mm. It doesn't necessarily. It can't. It can't evaluate your ability to speak, to lead, to communicate, mm. to to dance, mm. to create art, for example. Mm. Different, inter- different forms of intelligences, like Howard Gardner actually said. So we need to understand that when students understand this, right, then they realize that hey, education is there, but there are other things I can do to develop my strengths. One question is that how do you make mm. students understand this? Because I understand that mm. self-education to me is the new education. Yeah. Like it's really how you pick up along your lines of your own strengths and interests and you develop your skill, whether it's videography or yeah. anything else, singing, anything, right? But one trouble I have as a piano tutor or mm. because as a piano tutor I don't want to just then okay I'm sorry to just sidetrack to sure. my personal example but when I try to like ask them about their interest it seems like they don't have an opinion like mm. that, that's, the, that's the biggest challenge that I face as a piano tutor I don't want to just evoke them you talk about evoking students to not be factory workers and mm. I and I completely agree with that yeah. just that like how we grew up think of yourself as a sec 2 kid or sec 1 kid right how do you strike the core Mm. of a set one kid to I'm going to do what I want given the pressures they're in given sure. the parents that they're in I, this is, to me is a very difficult question that I still can't comprehend but yeah. what's your this top line information and opinion about it uh, you see we, who, who we are right is a product of both nature and nurture yeah. right? so our DNA as well as the environment around us mm. so the environment is that fo- great focused mm. you know GPA and everything so it's very hard because they are very conditioned to think and act and behave in a certain way the best way you can kind of do it for them okay honestly speaking right like there are two ways I, I always say there are two ways we can really rewire like, how we think okay. okay number one is you have a very strong dream very strong vision okay okay and it pushes you to kind of step out of your comfort zone the other thing is tragedy sorry <laughs> tragedy oh okay Tragedy, which was which is what happened to me, which mm. completely rewired the neurons in my brain, how mm. I think and my perspective. Mm. So I don't wish tragedy upon students. Like I can't. So like the best thing I can do for them is raise the self-awareness mm. and let them know that I always tell them, never let Mark Twain actually said this, never let schooling get in the way of your education. Mm. Never let schooling get in the way of education. Mm. Because education actually comes from the word educo, which means to draw out, not to put in. I tell them the key purpose of education is what they say, ah, get good grades, go and get a good job, make money. Then I say, why not I just teach you how to make money? <laughs> right? The true purpose of education is to critically evaluate and make informed decisions. Mm. And and I don't demonize education. I think it's a very good base. But I tell them that you need to understand how to extract value from education, what you want, and how can you for me my, my business actually started because of my FYP. My FYP actually became a business. So I'm very grateful to Wikimi. Because I got the funding, I got my friends as a group to actually start out. That's nice. Yeah, so because I have something in mind already and in mind, mm. I use the formal education system to kind of help me to that, towards the end goal. Mm. So that there's one thing like you can use CCAs for example, if you're interested in photography, you can go in a photography club. For mm. example, find associations that help you nurture your talents. Mm. You know? Mm. And that's one way. Mm. Okay. And the other way is I always tell them, you are being told get good grades, study hard, get a good job. But I say when you graduate, there are thousands of people that graduate the exact same degree as you. Yes. There are foreigners that are willing to take the same job with maybe half the pay. Yes. You have AI taking over jobs. Yes. So yeah, man, you're great. I say what separates you is not just a piece of paper, it's your character, your skills, yes. your values, your vision, how you communicate. Mm. 
And when and, and they realize I think kids nowadays because of the information, social media, everything. Mm. In fact, before this right, I was at Tampanese Mall, mm. popular. Mm. I was looking at books. There's this guy beside me, set three, reading a book on self-help and personal mm. development. Mm. Then I asked him why you read this kind of book. He said, Oh, because I want to grow and learn, yeah. develop myself. Mm. So actually kids nowadays have greater awareness, I feel. Mm. They they know that grades are not everything. There's more awareness of self-help distributed yeah. all these channels. But another question that I want yeah. to ask, right? Some recently, right? I listened to this podcast yeah. by Mark Manson. Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. This yeah. guy. So, um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The most yeah. most notable book that he wrote, right, is the art, is the subtle, subtle art of not giving a. F- yeah. Okay. Uh, but there's this video that I just watched recently. I think he launched it about one week ago, right? Mm. That basically disses self help in a way because mm. how we understand self help to be, right? At least of how I understood sure. it to be as well. It's in a very positive light. That's why I was mm. about to ask you, like, what is the difference between your company on how they market self help? To be okay, so I know this is a long winded, but basically, what the video talks about is that he's tired of the self help industry putting self improvement in a positive light. Yeah, and this basically feeds in the subconsciously feeds into the ego of how we are all great and we are all meant to do extremely good things because this is part of the message that you're feeding me as well but this video basically talks about how actually it's the other way wrong he gives you five tenets of a negative self-help so the first tenet is humans suck mm. we, we admit that we are like terrible mm. things really we are in historically proven we have made so much uh, mistakes we are race majority of us are all racist is data data based yeah, we are we are, we, 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 are, are yeah, we are we are we suck we suck <laughs> we try to suck less okay all that kind of stuff so um what's your opinion on that i, I know i didn't provide you enough context no, I like i because as a sexual kid also i yeah. picked up on this kind of self-help stuff mm. right and it was written in a very positive light and uh, this concept of this concept of lost aversion, I'm not sure if it's like directly similar, but sometimes, or is it from the movie Inception? You watched Inception? No, I did not. Okay, so there's this part where negative catharsis, right, is much more powerful than a positive environment. And you talked about how there's two things that change a person: Dream strong tragedy. dreams and yeah. a tragedy. And by this concept of negative catharsis versus positive things, right, it seems that tragedies would be better. Uh, I know it's. It sounds very emotionless, mm. but what do you think of this very? Yeah, and then maybe you can connect and share sure. how how is your company like and that tackling yeah. self help in a very different way? It, it is. Yeah, I know. Okay, there's too many questions. No, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. Like, I, I love this question. Yeah, I. So, so the thing is, what's the difference between hype and hope? Okay. Very fine line. Difference between hype and hope. Uh. What you're talking about has similar links to hype. When you just rara, you tell it, oh man, fire up, you have <laughs> so the seminars, right? You tell everyone can do it, you make them I don't know, you make them look in the mirror, you tell them I'm, I'm powerful I'm positive and powerful and yeah. you know everything. And and there is value behind affirmations. I'm not saying yes, there's yes. no value behind affirmations, it's just that if you do it without context and you hype the person up, he's gonna come down. Mm. It's just like post camp depression, for example. Yes. Why right? It's because this is what I go by. Dreams don't have to be realistic, but plans do. Mm, okay. Okay. What's your plan? You yes. Okay. Now you're hyped up. Yes, you you believe that you can do it. But what's your plan after that? Do you have a strategic 
well thought out plan to achieve what you want you know so that it isn't just hype you know and and of course motivation comes in I see I feel still feel there's a place in motivation there's a place in inspiration but inspiration I think uh, you, you can be inspired by my example for example you know can be inspired by how to overcome and everything but eventually I want to help that person find his or her own driver that something that is intrinsically driving him you know and eventually uh, using that drive right to uh, achieve what he or she wants like, with, a, with a very well thought out you know with a step by step approach like. and, and a closely linked question is like when do you give up so when yes. do you know yeah when do you know whether it's time to quit or you're delusional so because delusion is what he talks about as well right because self-help you know like for example you market you are selling people their flaws to make people buy stuff technically the whole commercialization is all geared around that yeah. but where do we draw the link between ethical marketing and just playing on people's uh, vulnerabilities it's because technically you can you can argue anything playing on people's vulnerabilities yes. Yes. you know so it's a rabbit hole but basically uh, what was I talking about before that uh, could you share more about the kind of how you are making your programs oh, yeah. different or how, ah, how okay. is your program oh, structured yeah, okay. like correct, correct, correct so so you're talking about resilience when to give up mm. okay uh, so we talk about that and I'll link it back to your that question you just asked me so I think the question is for the person to answer because I talk about resilience right when is it when is it you know that hey you need to let go and when is it you need to persevere just a little bit more and achieve it because there are thousands of stories where people feel like quitting they persevere just a little bit more and they you know what they got that big project sustains them mm. so the answer is really up to you mm. like where it's straightforward yeah, actually yeah, it's a straightforward answer yeah it's really it's really up to you what you want but I would say a baseline is that do you have a strategy right and is a strategy realistic enough to know that if you hustle a bit more you can potentially make it but the funny thing enough is that a lot of times it's irrational. Like if you look at people who are achieve great things, right? It's not logical. It's not rational. That's 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 the difficulty. Yeah. Like on the surface, they if you look at it, wow, this plan can work, man. But yes, yes. but it's because they believe in the impossible. That's why they're willing to break their boundaries. Like Martin Luther King, for example, mm. and Gandhi. Mm. You know, and, and you need an element of that faith and that and that just irrationality, uh, to, to kind of break through. I feel it's a nice mix. Like, it's a nice mix. Yeah. So moving on, right? Can you share with us more about the company? Okay, yeah. so I think uh, what we do is we, I, so so how I design my programs right is that it's focused on resilience and mental health. Okay. Mental health is quite straightforward because it's just raising awareness. I say it's three things: awareness, attitude, and action. So awareness is what is mental health misconceptions. Attitude is eradicating stigma, and action is either seeking help or providing empathy, support to people who need help, compassionate, inclusive. So that one is, you know, in a way is quite straightforward. It's not really like uh, hype or anything, you know. But the resilience part, where we talk about resilience program to cultivate resilience, we we design a program that, uh, I don't go into now because it'll be very long, but we have four RE message. Four RE messages, like reframe perspective, regain confidence, reclaim so control. So very structured syllabus structured. to make sure it encompasses Man, elements, components of resilience. Yeah, and each component we help play certain games, we help students understand the nuances of the components, and then give them practical tools that they can use, for example, to reframe perspective in that particular moment. What's the target audience of these programs? Like, is it primarily for primary school, secondary school, even adults? 
and ahead or at least is there a long term plan of th- these kind of programs that you uh, intend to expand into it's, it's customizable so primary school secondary school even at a J- JC level for example you can you can use the same messages mm. but it's customizable to th- their examples mm. their cultural context yes, yes yeah so it's to answer your question it is customizable it's just that the fundamental principles are still the same. similar it's just that the way you bring it across and the way you get them to follow up I, th- I think your best bet is still creating a a, a system where it distributes content mm. and that, that is one, I won't say a challenge but it's a is that, that, that we're talking about like where 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 do you dream where is it realistic so yes. that is where like next year I'm thinking of starting a podcast starting Definitely. maybe like me- I really media. think you should start a podcast you, you speak very well man no Definitely. I appreciate yeah I really appreciate it. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Content. You're, so, are you intend to create a content yeah, machine? Yeah. So, and so that's the thing, right? To create a content machine requires a lot of thinking, requires a, a team, yes. requires funding, maybe requires some cash flow as well. Yes. So, I really had to think a lot, balance between having a vision and seeing if I just want to play it safe and do the bread and butter, mm. have a stable, I mean, have decent income because the programs are giving me decent income. Mm. Like training, to be very honest with you, right? If you build your base, it can be quite lucrative. Yes. Um, if, if you have a passion for it now mm. and you really build and people like you for example but I want to reinvest it because you know the company has started because of a bigger vision now it's yes. not just me yes you know I, I want to have an impact beyond just the programs that I do in class so you're feeding profits back to your business yeah in a way and in whether in future the ROI is greater I think that's that's okay it's not it's it's kind of dangerous to say secondary because as an entrepreneur you need to have a plan to create profit if not you'll die yes, as definitely. well but I really take the risk that you know, hey, it may not work out. But I leave you no regrets, mm. yeah. What do you think of? I mean, now now that I, this is uh, side tracking. Like, what do you think of programs by Adam Koo or in general? Because I think I read an article from mm. Rice Media, or Rice okay. Media, like that talks about how he feels that in terms of the programs that he offers, right? Mm. Um, I think actually this is actually not really relevant to your no, it's, your it's thing, okay. but. He says that actually when it comes to mindset workshops versus how to make money workshops, right? People just want to make money. Uh. So I mean, I think it's fascinating. Well, at least I think it's rare for someone to tell me. It's, I find it very rare to say that uh, you're not really, I interpret it as mm. you're not going into really profit making lots of money, but mm. going more onto the impact that you want to have. Uh. Yeah. What, what do you think of all these kind of yeah, general perceptions towards money and, and mindset it's very very it's a very, very, very interesting question actually I grew up in a very conservative environment mm. I'll let you know I'm an accidental entrepreneur mm. I grew up in a very conservative environment I think most people are like that mm. where we have shame and guilt towards money I have that shame <laughs> and guilt I definitely have right and, and when I meet people, and I talk about this in a while so because we have shame and guilt towards money right a lot of time people cannot create wealth because either they feel like paise or like they don't know how to read, they don't have financial literacy. Mm. And I grew up thinking that, you know, wealth is bad, that if you create wealth means you're greedy, you're not a good person. Mm. Okay? Now it was just a subtle thing. So when I met my mentor, right, then I realized that, man, I realized that there are people who, it's not necessarily true, the people who create wealth, right, can also, like Bill Gates, for example, yeah. can, is a tool for them to give back. Mm. And, and he said this to me that really blew my mind. He said, Wealth is a direct proportional, right, to the number of people you can serve. Your wealth is directly proportional to the number of people you can serve. Mm. You look at how many people are using Microsoft. Everybody. That's why yeah. it's wealthy. Yeah. You know? So 
it changed my perspective. Then I realized that money and doing good no don't necessarily conflict. They can complement each other. Yeah. And so entrepreneurship was a social entrepreneurship was a good way to kind of get into it. But you must realize that yes, I've yes, okay, I want to make profit because the profit needs to sustain the business. Yes. But when I put people first, right, and I focus on the people, the profit will come along the way. Mm. You know, when you Okay, okay in, the, in the typical, for example, give us a typical situation in sales. I love sales because mm. salesmanship is a, is a key part of entrepreneurship. Mm. When you're sitting down across the table, mm. everyone has negative perception towards salesmen, you know, yeah. think because of certain reasons. Mm. And I remember, digress a bit, I remember the first time I went to university, the first ever lecture was a media, media lecture. So the professor was talking about how many of you have a negative connotation towards sales? Okay, so they always a couple of them raise up their hand, they don't like sales. Mm-hmm. Then he said this, those of you that raise up your hand, right, you have to change your perception immediately. Yeah. If not, you're not gonna be a good writer. Because mm-hmm. if you're writing means you're selling. Yes. You know? And he said that and and sales, right, really is the word sales actually comes from the word selling, mm-hmm. which means to give. <laughs> I like how you know all the origins of this. Yeah, words. because origins of words actually are very fascinating. And it tells you the meaning distorted along the way. Yeah. Right? Because of certain connotations, because you okay, business is not ethical or not ethical. Mm. It's people that are ethical or not ethical. People bring ethics into business. Mm. The business itself oh. cannot be ethical or not ethical. So it's, it's just that sales cannot be ethical. It's the people that bring it in. Yes. So sales really is is not about taking from people. It's about really about giving. It's not about taking advantage. It's about offering an advantage. Mm. So when I'm sitting now across the table, for example, selling to a teacher. Yes, at the back of my mind, okay, I want to make profit. But in that moment, in the present moment, all I'm thinking about is how can I add value to the person? How can I serve the person? How can I understand the person's needs? How can I provide the maximum value for this person? And when you do that, naturally the profit will come along the way because they know that, yeah, you're not thinking about the money alone. When did this kind of mindset come into you? I mean, it's not, I mean, it's easy to say. Yeah. I would say it's easy to say, difficult to execute mm-hmm. when cash flow is tight. Mm. Can you meet payroll? Do you, are you meeting payroll? I mean, do you have a team of employees, or mainly you are freelance? You have a team. So, like, so the good, good. Or, the good thing or bad thing about trading is that I am not like the expenses largely tied to my revenue. Oh, so okay. I only pay my trainers when there's a program. Oh, so okay, I'm hardly okay. bleeding any cash mm. unless I start media stuff. Then oh, okay, okay. Yeah, but right now, and it, it could be a curse as well because I have no pain to yeah. keep drive me to do sales, right? Oh. But but yes, to answer your question. Uh, yeah, no. So the main expenses only come when when the program comes. So moving ahead, right? How yeah. do you plan to expand your startup? Sorry, resilience with re- rebound with resilience, right? Okay. Mm. I think. Uh, so I think. For you, are you the kind of entrepreneur that plans super long term, five years, ten years, fifteen years, that that cherry on the top of the tree that you want to eventually pluck or? You're more of an entrepreneur who moves day by day, seeing like every day is just a grueling process. And you're just enjoying that process along the way. Or like, how do you balance the both between as an entrepreneur? I think it's a bit of both. That like you need to have a vision because vision, a vision kind of drives you lah. It, it gives you a direction and a drive. Mm. You know, you kind of know that that my share my share my vision is to. Uh, I want to digress. Great Angela Duckworth is a great book. She talks about having an ultimate goal mm. that drives you. And so my ultimate goal in a way is to help people globally mm. recognize their distinct genius mm. and
and pursue it with authenticity, resilience, and tenacity. Yeah, and so I'm all about helping people recognize that they have that genius in them, they have that worth in that unique worth in them. Would you say that most people have convinced themselves that they settle for who they they settle for who they are and they have convinced themselves essentially that they are aren't will you say meant to do bigger things? That's a, that's, 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 well, that's a whole debate in itself like Gary Vaynerchuk right? you're a big big boss right? if people are happy with what they are then it's okay like you don't need to take other people's values and impose it on yourself like, ah, I must must do this I'm an entrepreneur if you're happy and you're comfortable you have a nice work-life balance and you're genuinely happy then it's fine you know but I think most people are in a way living lives of quiet desperation uh. they're suffering quiet by desperation. quiet desperation they're suffering and they don't really like their job or they, they want to change certain things but or they complain a lot but you don't want to take a step to step out of a comfort zone and make that change so that is where you come in and say that hey actually you can do it if you take a step um, and of course for me I'm a very David Goggins kind of guy la. David Goggins you know is a Sorry, I don't he know. Was, ah, no. So he wrote a book called Can't Hurt Me, right? If you're keen about resilience and just honest, down-to-earth stuff, right? you check out his book called Can't Hurt Me. I don't get paid for promoting this, but this book really impacted me. I'll leave a link me. to the yeah, it's a uh, This guy, is a ba- he basically is an ex-Navy SEAL. He, he's dubbed the hardest man on the earth, the toughest man on earth. This guy is mad. So he started out just overweight. As a kid, he was abused. His father was like a pimp and uh, abused his mom, you know, ran, uh, forced him to work, labor and everything. He was beaten up by his dad until he like bled in his ear and everything. So he became someone that just settled, spraying for cockroaches as a pest control guy, super overweight. So, but he this haunting voice in his head that said, hey, you know what? I, I mean, I'm not meant to be <laughs> this. Surely I can do something more in my life. This haunting voice in his head. So one day he went back home, he actually saw uh, Discovery Channel surviving the cut basically Navy SEAL people going through training and the commander was saying that this man detests mediocrity this man uncommon amongst common people you know and he was just inspired by that and he decided hey I'm going to be a Navy SEAL wow. but he was overweight he called up recruiters all of them rejected him except one they say okay you can do it but you need to lose like 40 kg in like 3 months and he, when he said and he first started out right, it was just torture for him mm. but somehow he persevered he went to Navy SEAL training mm. eventually he was he's the only African American to complete only 30 because African Americans right they're negative buoyant which means they sink oh yeah so there are only 37 African Americans in the history of Navy SEALs wow yeah so because despite that he still overcame he became the third he on, he's the only guy that went through three hell weeks so Hell Week is a basically intense, they break you down, but he went through three Hell Weeks. His knee, his shin was completely like destroyed. He just wrapped duct tape and he just carried on. So this is where it gets interesting, right? It, so after he was a Navy SEAL, right, he became a Navy SEAL, he was a really kind of a hard guy. But what, one thing happened was that there was a mission, because uh, Lone Survivor, another book, where five Navy SEALs went to Afghanistan. They got into trouble. They it's fought. There's a movie about this, right? Yeah. Is it the same movie? Or? Yes, Lone Survivor, they fought. 200 Talibans on the mountain. They killed like 100 plus Talibans. Four of them died. He's the only one that survived. So he wrote a book about that. So David Goggins was in the same boat crew as the guy in Navy SEAL training. So he wanted to raise money for his foundation. So he googled toughest races on earth. Okay. And he went, one toughest was the Badwater, 135 miles. So it's 100, it's 100, 135 miles, about 180 km, something like that. Through the desert. 
So he said, I'm going to go for the race. He called up the guy. The guy said, hey, you can't just take part in this race. It's You will die. Uh. So you need to qualify for it. He said that you can go there's somewhere in your hometown. There's this, you can run 100 miles in under 20, in 24 hours. Mm. You can qualify for this race. Mm. So he went to the track. Mm. He ran 70 miles. Wow. 70 miles going around the track. He said on the 70 miles, right, he was in his worst pain in his life. Mm. Everything broken. Metatarsals in his, in his toes, everything broken, shin, spleen. You know, it was the worst shape of his life, right? He was, okay. and he stopped. Basically, his body just shut down. He was, he wanted to go to the toilet, he can't. He was like peeing blood. <laughs> so, so, so at that point, he said that, okay, he got two options. Either you quit or you carry on. But he said that at point of time, right, he just remembered that, hey, his whole past, how he was a loser, how he was fat, and how he went through all of that. And he said that, hey, you know, if I quit now, all my demons will come back and haunt me. So he ran another, on that condition, he ran another, like, I don't know, I think 81 miles. Okay. And 81 miles, he stopped because he was broken down. And and 81 miles to 100 miles, right? Somehow he just found this new energy and he ran the last 19 miles faster than the first 81 miles. Wait, what? Yeah. Ran the last 19 yeah, miles yeah. faster than the. Yes. And he completed Holy. the 100 mile race in 19 hours. Okay, and he was in basically he was just kidneys of failing everything. He was back. His wife brought him back. He was in the, he was in the bathtub. Water was coming down on him. He was, uh, he was peeing like, like his his pee was like black. Okay? and he said it was the worst pain in his life. But he said right, well, this thing that really struck me. He said that even though he was in the worst pain in his life, right, that was the best feeling in his life. He said. His wife said, let me take you to the hospital. He said, no, I want to enjoy his pain. And after that, right? Yeah, and after that, right, he basically became the hum hard ass guy. He just after he after that, he just became an ultra marathon runner. And then he did he, he completed he owns the Guinness World Record for the most number of pull-ups done in 24 hours. Which is how many? 4,000 plus. What? 4,000? Yes, yes. And, and you see right, the picture, right? After he did 4,000 pull-ups, right? Oh you can see the bone on his on his hands. Okay. He's okay. just, it oh, was, he's he just, and, and it's very funny because like, I tell this story before we move on, right? This billionaire, not billionaire, millionaire called Jesse Isler. So he owns this Zico, like, this coconut water. Yeah. Quite a famous guy. So this guy is so into running. So one time he did a 24 mile. Six people run four miles each. 24 miles in total. So he said he was running the race, right? He saw one big African-American guy running. He said the guy didn't have a team. He was running by himself. <laughs> That's David Goggins. So he, he was very fascinated. So he went to him and said, hey, this guy's also crazy. He said, can you be my personal trainer for a month? Wow, so the guy shit. Said, Why, what, what kind of personal trainer? <laughs> yeah, so the guy so David Goggins said, hey, if you're crazy enough to ask me, right? then man, I'm crazy enough to, to train you. So he wrote a book about that also, Living in a Navy SEAL. <laughs> he was well, it's damn funny. It's really so oh funny. So God. David Goggins is just an intense guy, right? And he made there's one time there was a blizzard there was a blizzard going on, right? Uh-huh. And he was just freezing outside. The weatherman said, Don't go out, you know, you'll die. And David Goggins told him it's a perfect time for us. <laughs> so they went out. They went and dipped in the pool. Like both of them. Yeah, he, oh. he forced him to go out. La. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. Then oh. uh, other stuff as well. He made him sleep in the chair. Mm. Because he said that he woke him up in the middle of the night, right? He said you, he won't sleep in the chair. Because he said you're too comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Like yeah, an easy so, so he's basically like, and, and in his book, right, he talks about this, and I hope this can add value to listeners. Like, he talks about this, like, we live in this society where 
And this is linked to what you, you mentioned earlier. We live in a society where sometimes we lie to ourselves. I we, do. you know, we, we have this all euphemisms. Oh, you're growing, you're positive. And that's why he's talking about self-help. He doesn't like it as well. Five steps to become this. Ten steps to become this. He said there's no shortcut. He said that it's only through suffering that you really discover who you are. And he said that, he said that, um, uh, he said, uh, yeah, he doesn't like self-help because, right, we kind of put a mask and we kind of pretend that we are, we are, we are well. And he says sometimes we just need to look in the mirror and say that, hey, you suck. <laughs> you are not living up to the person you say that you're going to be. And it's not about beating yourself up, it's just being it's vulnerable. Humbling. And, yeah. It's humbling. You know, and just being honest with yourself and saying that, hey, you know, you ain't doing shit. <laughs> you need to up your game because you're saying, you're saying you have a lot, like for me, for example, you say you want to do this, 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 but you wake up at 10 a.m. Mm. Your actions don't match your ambition. Mm. So you have to be vulnerable to yourself. And why is that important? Because the truth gives you a starting point. Mm. It gives you a starting point to where you're going to go. So he talks about this called accountability mirror uh, in his book. Yeah, so it's, wow. I'm going to read it. This is interesting. <laughs> Very inspiring. I, I feel so inspired myself, you know. I just talking to you, the kind of energy that you bring. Moving on, last things that you like to say. Is there any things on your mind that you want to just share with listeners? Any yeah. thing, concept, experience, book that you feel that is worth sharing before we end this podcast? Yeah. I mean, we have talked about a lot of yeah. very heavy things in my opinion, like things that takes a lot of time to digest and think about and. I always want to take this chance to reflect huh? at least yeah. sometimes right call me a weird person or what but I like I, I like to look at my podcast right to see and reflect on the kind of things that you talk about yeah. because sometimes like you talked about how your workshop you felt that the gap that there wasn't a follow-up enough right for example what can I don't because I don't want to sure. sound this to sound like a shortcut because you just yeah, yeah. there's really no things to shortcut yeah. but what are the small steps mini steps that people can take to follow sure. up Maybe I'll end off with this. I've thought about something. Education is kind of like my passion and everyone is linked to education in some way. And I think one message that I can share is education is not like a fixed destination. It's not that you get grades or you get certain achievements and then you're educated. Education is really a journey. It's a process of discovery. And when you understand the true essence of education, right, it's a lifelong journey that is so enriching and it's so it's just so inspiring right to be able to learn new things talking to you for example yeah, yeah. learning new things no i'm so inspired talking to you man i'm so energized you know yeah. thanks i appreciate yeah, that yeah. No. <laughs> yeah same here same here so so i think i think one of the thing is that kids especially right or even if you're a parent and you have a student right or you have you have a kid right it's not just in in the outcomes in outcomes are important having any goal is important but never forget to enjoy the journey and understand that it's the journey that makes you who you are you know and that is a quote that I live by the greatest reward the greatest reward for a man's dedication to excellence is not what he or she gets through it but what he or she becomes through it wow okay and I look back at my life right what I'm most proud of right is not the financial options that I have it's not the achievements or the medals on the wall last time it was when I was a kid egoistic yeah. you know, hey I got this medal but when I look back right, the things that I value the most is the person that I become the skills that I actually develop the character the integrity you know the ability to, to hustle for example you, you can't take that away from you you can take away everything right, material stuff 
but you can't take away this character in you. And so you can build it up again. You can take away everything from me. I'm fine. I mean, of course, I mean, I'll be sad <laughs> lah if I lose everything. But if you choose between taking away what my my mindset and taking away my money, of course, I'll choose the latter any day. So the message is just really enjoy the process and understand that every day is a day for you to grow and learn. Uh, and don't be so detached from outcomes. Detachment doesn't mean you own nothing. It means nothing owns you. Yeah, I learned it from Jay Shetty. Actually, all these things I just copy. I'm just a guy that just can synthesize stuff well and I just synthesize together. Okay, I mean, moving on. Okay, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Like, I'll just move on. Like, what are the kind of content yeah. that you absorb from different people like Jay Shetty, yeah. um, Seven Cynic, the kind yeah. of books like, what are the, okay, I, I hate using either top five or whatever, but what are the sure. biggest influences of how you how how you're thinking right now how who, who are the you say heroes or mentors that shape you I mean, of course you have a personal, personal mentor, mentor yeah for one yeah so that's one uh, of course he recommends me books as well mm. so some of the books i think uh, i mean if you want to learn communication i can give you a broad range uh, some of my mm-hmm. go-to books so i learn to communicate with people winning with people by john maxwell is good winning okay. with people or how to win friends and influence people mm. you know it's a pretentious title right but actually it's a really good book classic we're going to talk about leadership you can go to simon Simic, start with why talking about you know focusing on people and focusing on the vision rather than the what and the how mm. uh of course to me because i'm in a space of resilience you know like mental health and everything so growth mindset mindset by Kara Dweck. growth mindset is a very popular thing and Grit by Angela Duckworth must read. Okay. Grit by Angela Duckworth is a must read. Okay. Actually, if we have some time, I'm not sure what you have, we can talk about pursuing passion, but Grit, he talks about how passion is formed. She synthesizes research. If you want to discover how to develop passion, how to nurture it, how to have the resilience to achieve it, right? Grit is a very good book. Yeah. So, ending off, right? Yeah. Where can people find you? I mean, okay, before I go there, right? Kevin, thanks so much for coming. I think sure. we yeah. should definitely do this like every few months, right? Just to see, yeah, yeah, yeah. catch up with each other, right? I content. Think it's, uh, yeah, not, not to say I don't really do it. Do, for I, content, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like the person that you become through yeah. through during, during this whole process. And I can generally say I really like forcing ourselves to be in this scenario where mm. we are just talking about yeah. things that matter to us, especially to you. For, so mm. for those listeners that want to follow with you. Where can oh, they find you? What's your website? Um, yeah, what's your website? What's your handles? I'll definitely link your Instagram, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, everything, and the video captions. But yeah, where can they find you? Yeah, so so you can just go to rebound with resilience. So it's rebound, rebound. Okay, by the way, resilience actually means rebound. If you look at the the, 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 the Okay, but rebound with resilience on Instagram, Facebook. You can just type in. You should appear. Website is www.reboundwithresilience.com my personal account on social if you search rebound resilience under the followers you'll be there la. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yes. yeah it's kevin b you can just search kevin b yeah kevin thanks so much man no problem thanks so much thanks man. thanks man.